I want us today to look at the benefit of wisdom. Now, why am I taking time? Why am I giving a whole lesson for us to study the benefit of wisdom? Well, it's because for us to desire wisdom, for us to appreciate the importance of wisdom, we must see its benefit. There is always something good whenever someone presents the benefit of something, right? If someone is selling to you a product, almost always they begin with what? For those who are businessmen and businessmen, what do you begin with? You begin with the benefit, isn't it? Here is a certain product. Here is this drink. And when you drink this every morning for the next two or three months, these are the benefits you will get. You will feel fresh, uh, you will be energized, you know all those things. Or if someone is selling you a phone, they will tell you, buy this and not this because this has this benefit. Look at the screen, look at um, the RAM and all those kinds of things. So in the same way, it's important that for me to sell to you this wonderful jewel, this wonderful product called wisdom, I need to take time to show you the benefits. And I need to show you the benefits because the scriptures do talk about the benefits of wisdom. The, the Bible simply doesn't just talk about wisdom. It also tells us about the benefits of wisdom. All right? So, what um, what we saw last time, uh, that was in the first lesson, is that there were three categories of wisdom. Who remembers the first, the first two? Who remembers the first two? From the Bible. What did you see, Hokma? The word Hokma means in the Bible. Yes. Uh -huh. It's a skill, uh huh, or something that is. Uh, someone help me here. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a skill, okay, or intelligence. Um, who, who else? Yes, second second. I have a helper this morning. Just take it. It's okay. <laughs> um. Uh, yes. Sorry for that. And then, secondly, what's the other thing we saw about wisdom? What did we see? Sorry? Someone said something. Okay, maybe. Uh -huh. So it was a skill or intelligence or a certain ability, inborn ability. But what's the second uh, thing we saw about? What's how does how is Hokma used? And this one was negative. Who remembers? We've forgotten. Yeah, yeah. So it means what? Yes. Isn't it cunning or crafty? You know, it's negative. And we saw that with the serpent. The Bible says that the serpent was more prudent. Actually, the word there is Oma. Right? We saw that, especially in the prophets, there is this use of the word wisdom, hokma, for those people who do wickedness for their own gain. Uh, people who are cruel uh, are called wise, and not wise in a, in, in a good way, it's in a negative way. Right? But then the third one that we saw is that true wisdom is a what? It's a moral skill. You remember that? So it's, it's, it's an inborn skill or ability. So it could be intelligence, could be ability to make things. And then secondly, it's, it's negative where it's uh, shrewdness. And then uh, thirdly, it's a moral uh, skill. And what we saw is that true wisdom uh, is a moral skill. True wisdom or biblical wisdom, the, the, the proper use of the word wisdom, if I can put it that way, is 
a disposition of the heart rather than simply a skill, us learning a skill or us having a certain ability. It's a disposition of the heart towards God and towards the things of God where we live to please him. Right? We also saw that it's a lifestyle, a lifestyle that is marked with surrender, submission, and security in God. So remember that the true biblical wisdom, what we what I'm about to present, the benefits of what I'm about to present is this. I'm talking about a moral skill, a heart skill, a heart disposition is surrender submission and security in God, where someone is totally given to God, completely submitted to God, loving God, uh, loving his word, um, finding security in him in a world that is filled with many dangers. They can say like David, you, O Lord, are my shield and my strong tower. That's a wise person, someone who finds peace, security in God, not someone who finds their peace and their security in their career or in the money that is in their bank account. So, and we saw that this is seen in how we respond to God's law and to God's work. And this is all the work of the Holy Spirit. So this wisdom can only come, this wisdom is only a result of a heart that is transformed by the saving work of Christ. So, moral skill, a heart change, cannot happen. You cannot gain wisdom unless you are transformed from within by the saving work of Christ. Unless you have seen your sins, unless you have repented of your sins, unless you have put your faith in Christ, whatever I'm about to say will not help you. So I need to give that disclaimer, that all these benefits are for those who are in Christ. They are the one who can fully enjoy these benefits. And Christ says in Matthew 7 and verse 24, Everyone then who hears, sorry, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. So it has to begin with a relationship with Christ as your savior and as your master. That's the beginning point. So if you are in Christ, Get ready to hear some of the benefits of wisdom so that, Lord willing, next Sunday we can look at uh, how then do we acquire wisdom. So, um, having set that out, um, and I will say it again towards the end, the need for us to begin uh, wisdom with our, our relationship with Christ. Right? All right, so let's look at uh, the benefits of wisdom and we're going to be uh, looking at four books in the bible so we are going to uh, look at what are the benefits of wisdom we're going to explore this subject and we're going to be doing it by looking at four books in the bible that deal extensively with this subject now it doesn't mean that they are the ones who only deal with this subject all other books in the bible deal with wisdom so, I'm not saying these are the only books that deal with wisdom, but there is a way in which these four books deal with wisdom extensively. So which books are these? Job, I've been mentioning Job. Proverbs, I've been mentioning it. Ecclesiastes, I don't think I've mentioned it, but today we will look at it. And James, I think we've looked at those three books, but we shall also explore Ecclesiastes because Ecclesiastes also has a lot to say about wisdom, and especially the benefits of wisdom. So let's begin with 
Job. As we look at these four books. So, the benefits of wisdom presented in the book of Job. So, what does Job tell us about wisdom? Well, uh, interestingly, wisdom and suffering are connected. Wisdom and suffering are connected. You, we never think of starting there whenever we think about wisdom, isn't it? If I would ask you, you know, where, where would we begin to look at the benefits of wisdom? We'll probably begin by um, relationships, uh, family, church, very true. But if we look at the book of Job, we we'll see that wisdom is something that is connected with the suffering or the pains of life. So whenever we think of wisdom, rarely do we begin with its relationship with pain and suffering. Yet, the oldest book in the Bible, and which is the oldest book in the Bible? The book of Job, for your information. Job is the oldest book. The oldest book in the Bible brings the reality that wisdom and suffering are connected. It shows us that, or it brings to the fore, the truth that wisdom is shaped and seen in how we deal with suffering. Or pain in our lives. Now, what Job shows us is that, like uh, sparks, what's the verse? Uh, like sparks uh, go up, so is what trouble. Or other words, in other words, trouble, suffering is normal for life. Don't look at suffering as the abnormality of life. That's what Job shows us. Suffering is the norm. The problem is we live in a world where um, the, the, the prosperity teachers have made people to think that suffering is something that is alien to the Bible. They will tell you, you know, Come to Jesus and all your problems will be over. Or the reason you, ha you are having this or that problem is because you don't pray enough. You don't have enough faith. You, you just need someone to anoint you, to lay their hands on you or one of those things. But then the oldest book in the Bible shows that there is a lot of wisdom to be gained. There is a lot of wisdom to be experienced, to be seen in suffering. So Job shows us this, that um, wisdom, <clears throat> wisdom shapes our attitude towards God during those times of suffering. How does it shape us? Wisdom helps us. This is one of the big benefits of wisdom. Wisdom helps us to trust God in turmoil and to hope in hardship. Trust during turmoil and hope in hardship. Because hardships, troubles, turmoil is the norm of life. This fallen life, this life after the garden, what happened in the garden? Thorns and thistles were now <clears throat> part of creation. Death came into our lives. Um, the woman is told by pain, you shall give birth. The man is told by the sweat of your brow, you shall eat bread. Trouble, turmoil. 
no more. If you're there and you're in trouble, if you're suffering, if you are ill, I like the statement by John Piper, don't waste, is it don't waste your, don't waste your pain, don't waste, had, had you, Oh, don't waste your cancer, yeah? Don't waste it. Use it to display God's wisdom in your life. Don't waste that pain. Don't waste that hardship. And what do we mean by wasting it? It's where you're just sitting and you're just crying and you're pouting instead of trusting God, hoping in God. Wisdom produces a resilience. Wisdom hardens us in the inevitable difficulties of this life. Why? Because we know that God is working out all things, not some things, all things for our good. That's the statement of wisdom. All things are working out for your good. That pain, that suffering, you being broke. Now, I need to say this, that in James, one of the things that James says is, we, we also <clears throat> need to check that we are not suffering because of our own sin. Because sometimes we suffer for our own sin and then we say, I'm learning wisdom. No, you are not wise. That's why you're suffering. And nonetheless, you're learning something, isn't it? You're learning that next time, don't make that decision. Either way, by the way, you're learning wisdom, isn't it? Because even if you are the one who made a silly mistake, you have gotten wiser. I've talked to some of you uh, who've um, made a decision and you've been in, you, you, you've been in, Naskia the Swahili word is ilikuramba. Is it kuramba, ama? Ulirambo, and now you're saying, hey, now I know, I know better. Hey, what I saw, what I went through, I'll never do that again. There is a sense in which you are glad. You, you wouldn't want to go back to that time of pain, but you are glad you went through it, isn't it? Because now you have learned. You have learned not to engage in certain relationships. You have learned not to invests in a certain way. You have learned not to use your tongue in a certain way. You have learned, you have gained wisdom. Dear brethren, there is much to learn during our times of suffering. There is much that we can gain from wisdom during suffering. Job says this in Job, and I mean, we can read the whole of Job just to, uh, if, if we had all the time to look at how wisdom interacts with pain or suffering. Look at what Job says in Job 5 and verse 17. Behold, <clears throat> blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despite, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Why? For he wounds, but he binds. He shatters, but his hand heals. He has a purpose. He has a reason for the pain. He has a reason for that cancer. He has a reason for that, that uh, sickness, that weakness, that pro problematic issue in the family. He has a reason. What's the reason? One of the things we see is that we will learn wisdom. We are depriving ourselves an opportunity to learn wisdom whenever suffering comes, whenever hardship comes, and we are quick to run away or are quick to hide. Quick to put makeup over our problems. Don't, don't put makeup, learn. Don't put, sorry, don't put makeup over your sufferings. Learn during that time of pain. Let God, see God using it for your good. 
see God use it to humble you. We'll see that humility is one of the things that we learn. And by the way, suffering really helps us to be humble. Or if, if, you've, ever, if you've ever seen the people who are proud, the powerful, the great in this world, if you see them when they are in the hospital, if you see them when they are on their deathbed, sometimes you even feel pity for them. You say, is this the one who made the nations to shake, to tremble? Is this the one who made people to shake? Suffering, it's inevitable, it's coming. Learn from it, draw much from it, dear brethren. Why? Because wisdom in suffering, again, helps us to trust God in turmoil and to hope in him during hardship. So that's the first thing, all right? Having looked at the oldest book in the Bible. But then, secondly, um, I want us to see the benefit uh, presented in the book of Proverbs. So what does Proverbs tell us about wisdom? Now, Proverbs has a lot to tell us about the benefits of wisdom. So, so much. There's just so much we can learn about wisdom from the book of Proverbs. But one of the things uh, now I see is that Proverbs is a book that shows us the benefits of wisdom in how we interact with the opportunities in life. So in Job, we see how we interact with pain and suffering, but Proverbs helps us with the opportunities in life. So in the book of Proverbs, <clears throat> wisdom is moral uprightness that guides and guards us in a life that is filled with opportunities and dangers. So in Proverbs, wisdom is the moral uprightness, which is both a guide and a guard. So wisdom is not only something that guides us, it is something that guards us. So that we don't fall off or so that we are not attacked or put in danger. Now, why am I saying that it's, it's about the opportunities in life? Let me ask you this. Um, the book of Proverbs is uh, someone talking to someone. So who are the ones who are, are talking to one another in Proverbs? Especially in the first part of Proverbs, the first chapters of Proverbs. Oh, no. Sorry? A Thank you. A father talking to a son. So it's, it's the, a father telling the son, look, son, life is filled with what? Opportunities. And that's why one of the things that Proverbs condemns is what? Laziness. Have you noticed that, by the way? Why is it that Proverbs condemns laziness? Proverbs condemns laziness because the father is telling the son, look, son, life is filled with what? Opportunities. How can you be a sluggard? Look at the sluggard. How can you fold your hands? How can you rest your eyes? How can you rest your head when life is so filled with opportunities, my son? And you might look at Proverbs and say, well, pastor, maybe at that time we had opportunities, but today with the hard economy, Proverbs really doesn't make sense. Proverbs still makes sense, even for us today. There are still opportunities in this life, isn't it? In spite of the heavy taxation, people are still making money, isn't it? 
people are still printing money. I mean, have they stopped printing money? They're still printing money. To show that there is an economy. They are still, go to China, they are still manufacturing things. Why? Life is filled with what? Opportunities. Please don't fold your hand and say, well, the economy is so hard. Things are so tough. Let me relax. Let me just sleep. A little sleep, a little slumber. Proverbs condemns that. It falls. For that person who is lazy, tells a lazy person, go and look at the what? What, what animal are we told to look at? The ant, isn't it? Go look at the ant. The ant knows that winter is coming. It will not be able to work. My son, go and look at the ant and see how busy it works. So that it has enough food to take care of itself during winter. There are opportunities even today. People are still manufacturing. I remember talking to someone and we were saying, you realize that even in a, even in a war-torn economy, a war-torn economy like that of our neighboring country, Somalia, that there is still an economy running, isn't it? I mean, where are they getting all that money to buy these buildings here? In a war-torn country where bombs explode every day, go to Afghanistan, people are working. So Proverbs rebukes laziness because the father is talking to the son. He's telling him, son, you are young. You have opportunities. Grab them. But he's also telling him, listen, for you to grab those opportunities, you need wisdom. Why? Because life is also filled with what? Dangers. As you... As you put your hand out to ho get hold of those opportunities, it's like, um, it's like putting your hand in a hole where you know maybe there is something precious, something good. But you're also careful, isn't it? There might be a snake there ready to bite you. So he's telling him, yes, son, there are opportunities. Put your hand out. Don't fold your hands. Put your hands out. Grab hold of the opportunities of life. Utilize your time well. Utilize your relationships well. Utilize everything God has given you well. But do it with wisdom because wisdom will help you against the dangers of life. So wisdom is a guide to the treasures of life. This is the benefit of wisdom. And wisdom is a guide to the traps of sin. So it plays it's a two-edged sword. It's a guide to the treasures of life and a guide to the traps of sin. Look at Proverbs chapter 2, verse 10, and then 10, I'll read uh, 10 to 13, and then I'll skip 17 to 21. <clears throat> so here's a father talking to the son, and he says, For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil, from the men of perverted speech who forsake the path of uprightness, who walk in the ways of darkness. And verse 16, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and, and uh, forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the de departed. None who go, none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the path of life. So you will walk in the way of good and keep the path of righteousness, for the upright will inherit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. Do you see that? Son, discretion will watch over you. It will guard you. It will keep you. But then it will also guard you from the forbidden woman. Not every door, not every open door is an opportunity that we need to grasp. 
Sometimes open doors are doors we either need to close or run away from. That's what probably saying. Do not go to her door. Don't come near her door. Now that's, that obviously is talking about the adulterous woman, but it's also talking about things in life that seem to be opportunities. But they end up being a trap. Well, there's an investment opportunity. It's a trap. Well, there is a, a, a networking opportunity. It's a trap. There's a marriage opportunity. It's a trap. Wisdom will help you to know the doors you should enter and the doors you should run away from. So wisdom is presented as a guide and a guard in the opportunities of life. And we need to be helped. We need to be guided. Because, oh, there are just so many open doors all over. But they don't be so happy that doors are opening in your life. Sometimes, the more doors uh, that are opening in your life, the more scared you should be, most of the time. And there's this door opening, and there's that door opening, and there's that door, and that other door, and that other door. Be very careful. Be very, very careful. You need wisdom. You need to pray to God to give you wisdom. Because some of these doors, or maybe all of these doors, you need to shut them, or you need to run away from them. Don't even peep. Don't even look what is inside. That's what the Father is telling to the Son. Do not, don't even go. If you continue reading Proverbs, you'll see that. Don't even go near her door. Even peep into some of these opportunities that are opening up in life. They will take you to the path of ruin. If a door is opening up for you, for example, as a brother, you have your family in Nairobi, and then a job is opening up in, in the Middle East. And maybe you are there rejoicing, yay, there is an open door for me to go and work in the Middle East. Will you be going there with your family? No. So you'll be leaving your wife and your children to go and do what? Go and work so that you see your wife only twice a year or three times a year. So that you see your children only twice a year, only three times a year. By the time these children are growing up, they have no idea who their father is. By the time you're retiring and you're coming back to Kenya, you don't know your children. You're trying, now trying to look for them. Oh, my son, please visit me. My daughter, you, these days you don't call me, you don't visit me. But dad, you are never there, isn't it? Be careful with some of these opportunities. That's what Proverbs is telling us. Wisdom will tell us, watch out for that. That's okay. Close that one, run away from that one. Then thirdly, <clears throat> so we've looked at Job. We've seen that uh, wisdom helps us with the suffering of life. It helps us with um, the turmoil and the troubles of life, the suffering of life. It helps us to trust God, to hope in God. But then also wisdom we've seen from Proverbs helps us with guidance and it helps it helps to guard us in the opportunities of life and i've said that's why proverbs rebukes laziness life is full of opportunities even in a hard economy even when banks are collapsing even when taxes go up even when business is shrinking there are still opportunities as long as there are human beings on this earth you can sell them something you can offer them a service. You can do something, my son. But then what does Ecclesiastes say? The third book. As we look at the benefits of wisdom. So what benefits are there to harness? Or what benefits are there that we get from this jewel called wisdom? Well, wisdom and <clears throat> there is a, what we see is that there is a relationship between Wisdom and what I call the anomalies 
in life or the abnormalities in life. So when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you sometimes it's a hard book to understand, isn't it? If you have, have you ever read Ecclesiastes, eh? sometimes it's hard to understand because you're wondering, what is this guy saying? And some people have even wondered, is Ecclesiastes really inspired? Well, the preacher in Ecclesiastes considers all the areas of life. He looks at success. He looks at pleasure. He looks at work. He looks at time. But he comes away with from his search with a cynical and unsettling view that life is like chasing the, the wind. He says, I have done it all. I have worked hard, I have become lazy, I have become su successful, I have done everything and I realize that it's all vanity. The preacher in, Ecclesi uh, in Ecclesiastes notes that one of the anomalies or one of the abnormalities of life is that the greater the opportunities and capacity of enjoyment, the deeper and the wider the experience of disappointment and frustration. Let me read that. Let me read that again. Please hear me. The preacher notes that the greater the opportunity and, and capacity of enjoyment. So the more you can enjoy, the more you have things to enjoy, the more you have a capacity to enjoy things, the deeper and the wider the experience of disappointment and frustration. Isn't that, isn't that true? You buy a new phone. You are excited about the new phone. You have been waiting for it. You have been saving for a year to buy that phone, to buy that house, to buy that car. And what happens when you finally get it? You realize it's not what you thought, isn't it? There's just something that happens in us. You just start feeling, just this? Is this all I was looking forward to? Is this it? Start looking at the walls of the house that you bought. Ah, there's even a little crack there. And oh, it's not even as big as I thought. Or it's too big. It's too cold. It's too this. It's too that. That's life. You, you wait, you, you're preparing a meal, and uh, you've prepared a wonderful meal, and you go and sit down and you're ready to eat it, and what happens? You're suddenly full. Ecclesiastes is talking about that. There is a problem with us. There's a problem with humanity. It's part of the fall that we cannot enjoy the things of this world. Well, mo what m most ladies will say is that I was making chapati, then ikashiba moshi, isn't it? Even <laughs> mm -hmm. no, it's not the moshi that made you to feel satisfied. It's a reality that listen. Some of the things that you long for, when you finally get them, when you finally get that job, when you sit down in that desk in that office, you're wondering. Ah, man, I didn't think it would be this boring. I didn't think it would be this mundane. And that's one of the problems, by the way, with millennials. Keep on moving from job to job. You know, they're in this job, and they are, they are, they are, they are in it, and uh, you, you meet up. They, they really even prayed, please, brother, let's pray for this job. And we pray together, and we even fast together. 
and they get that job and they are so excited and three down three months down the line you talk to them hey how is the job doing ah uh, yeah i mean it's great but isn't it i wish i had more money you know i don't like the boss i don't like I'm not being, that's, a, that's one of the words we like using. Eh? I'm not being challenged. I, I wonder what, whether we need, people need to tell me what you mean by you're not being challenged. I mean, our parents used to work one job from the time they were born. Okay, not from the time they were born. Eh? <laughs> but from the time they began working to the time they retired was one job and they were satisfied and they were happy. What's wrong with us? They were content, they were at peace. And for us, it's like the more we get, and this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. It's like the more things we are getting, the more life, to be honest, the, the, the more that our lives are becoming more and more dull, isn't it? We are losing the capacity to enjoy life. We can't enjoy a relationship. We can't enjoy a job. We can't enjoy, there is nothing that we enjoy. And this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. He's saying that pleasure does not satisfy. Even the idea of securing happiness in this world by the unusual degree of righteousness cannot bring lasting happiness. Our hearts have a problem. We are broken somewhere. So what does Ecclesiastes say? So the book of Ecclesiastes gives a disclaimer to the optimistic tone of Proverbs. So Proverbs is very optimistic. And that's okay. But then the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, uh, uh, let me give you a disclaimer. The preacher in Ecclesiastes demonstrates that wisdom is not a guarantee of worldly success or ease of life. We see that sometimes under the sun, the foolish prosper, while the wise suffer, neglect, and are forgotten. Isn't that so true? Some of the wisest people Some of the people who are the are most upright and have integrity are the people who never get promoted. But the people who cut corners, the people who never do the work that is required of them, they're the people who are always promoted, isn't it? And you wonder, how come this guy is just climbing the ladder? And they are not qualified. Well, the, the, the writer, the, the preacher in Ecclesiastes is telling you, those are the anomalies of life. Life is like that under the sun. Under the sun, things don't work out exactly as you would think they do. Look at Ecclesiastes 9, 13 to 16. <clears throat> he says, I have seen this example of wisdom under the sun. And it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it. And a great king, king came against it and besieged it, building a great siege, siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, did what? Delivered the city. Look at the, what happens next. Yet, no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So what are the benefits of wisdom? Why should we seek wisdom in a world that is filled with abnormalities? 
So you might ask me, Pastor, you're saying the world is filled with abnormalities and problems and brokenness. Then why should I seek wisdom? Well, we see that even though wisdom doesn't guarantee success and happiness, because some of the sometimes the wisest people are not happy. Some of the wisest people are not happy, are not successful in life. Why should I seek wisdom? So wisdom doesn't guarantee success or happiness in life. But here's one thing. The flower, I decided to be poetic in this one. Eh? So the flower of wisdom is seen and often despised in life. But its fruit will be experienced and appreciated in the life to come. So what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, even if you are wise, even if you know the scriptures, even if you know God, this life, because it's broken, full of sin, things will not go as you think. Things will not work out as you would imagine. But in the life to come, you will reap the full rewards of wisdom. You will reap the full rewards of obeying God. While everyone else in the office is taking bribes, and they, you know, you're seated there, you're working in a government office, you're earning a very small salary, and everyone around you is taking bribes, or they are stealing, and they are doing some corrupt things here and there. And there you are, you are faithful. You are upright. They are advancing in life. You know, they've just built, you hear them when you're seated for lunchtime or for lunch break or for tea break. You hear them talking about how they are building the next, the next rental building in, in where? Wapi, where is the next place? Huh? In Isli, okay, Isli or Rwai. And you hear them talking, you know, yeah, I just finished that building in, in Gedorai. Now I'm building the one in uh, Rwai. You know, I have something else coming up in Isli. And you're there and you're seated and you're wondering, Lord, what's happening? Don't be tempted. Don't peep through that door. Don't go near that door. The writer of Ecclesiastes tells you, it's okay. People will mock you. People will laugh at you. You'll probably retire poor. You'll probably retire with nothing in your pocket. You'll probably retire depending on your children to send you something. Because you are so broke, you never stole anything. And your friends will retire mocking you. Look at that guy. He, he said he's a Christian. Look at him now. He's asking us to help him raise money for hospital bill. Eh? He should have just done that deal and he would have gotten something for his retirement. No, because listen, in the life to come, and there is a life to come, read Psalm 73. They are being prepared for judgment. You are being prepared for glory. When death comes, look at some of the corrupt people in Kenya. They've died, isn't it? They've died with all their money, with all their billions stashed away. How, does, how is it helping them today where they are? Wisdom has a fruit. And that fruit will be enjoyed in the life to come. Wisdom, therefore, gives us a right attitude to life under the sun, whether we succeed or we fail. You can see time has gone, but I think we can squeeze in the last one. Um, so benefits of wisdom in James. So we've looked at benefits of wisdom from Job. We've seen it helps us with suffering, to trust God, to hope in God, to utilize the opportunities that God brings our way. We've seen... Uh, the relationship between 
uh, we, we've seen wisdom in uh, Proverbs, the opportunities of life. We've seen wisdom and um, the abnormalities or the anomalies in life. But then wisdom in James, uh, wisdom has a relationship with godly community. There is a strong relationship between wisdom and godly community or how we live in a community and especially the community of believers. So one of the things that we need to realize is that wisdom is not a grace given to us for our own consumption. By the way, there is no gift in the Bible that is used for our own consumption, is there? Is there a gift that is given so that you enjoy it by yourself in your own house? Look at all the gifts. If it's a gift of teaching, you can't teach yourself, isn't it? If it's a gift of giving, you can't give yourself. No, you can't be, you, you can't say, I have, the, I, have been, I have the gift of generosity. And what you do is to move money from one bank, your, one bank account to your other bank account. That's silly, isn't it? It is you moving money from your bank account to the pockets of other people, isn't it? So all the gifts, all the gifts in the Bible, all the graces in the Bible are not for our own consumption. And please, as we read, as we go through wisdom, don't look at it in terms of how can wisdom help me, but look at how can wisdom help me to help others so that I may be a blessing to others. How can I be a blessing to the church of God? How can I be a blessing to the saints of God? How can I love these people more? That's wisdom. So we see that God gives us from James, we see that God gives us wisdom so that we may utilize it as we interact with others, uh, other people, especially the community of the saints. So according to James, then wisdom plays an important role in how we interact with other people in community. Wisdom is not simply having head knowledge. One of the problems is we think of wisdom as, I know the most. I can debate the most. You know the people who you even fear debating with them? That's not wisdom. When you say something, they always have something to say back to you. You say a certain truth from the Bible and they have five other. That's not wisdom. True wisdom comes from how you live with other people. How do you live with these people? How do you live with the people in church you don't like? But then that's when we will see how wise you are. How do I interact with people who I'm not so comfortable with? That's where we will see your wisdom. So according to James, wisdom is seen in our humility and care for the saints. In James chapter 2, for example, he warns uh, the believers against the sin of partiality. You know how you treat the rich? You treat the rich in a certain way, and then, uh, you know, a rich... Uh, a poor person comes and sits at the front, and when a, a, a well-dressed rich person comes in, you tell that poor person, hey, get up, go sit at the back, you come and sit. How do you treat people? How do you treat the people who you don't like? How do you treat people who you find it very hard to stand? That's where we will see. We will not see your wisdom when you're hanging around your friends, you're having uh, coffee at Java, and you're debating big doctrines together as you are just sipping your, 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 your wonderful coffee. Uh -uh. We'll see wisdom in how you respond to people who you don't like, who you don't feel comfortable with. He talks about, in, still in chapter two, he talks about dead works. 
or a dead faith rather, sorry, not dead works, a dead faith that ignores the needs of others. He says, if you say you have faith, but you do not have works, that faith of yours is dead. If you can argue how people should love the saints, and you don't love the saints, you don't gather with the saints. You've never given to the saints. Are you wise? He talks in chapter 3, he talks about using our tongues correctly. In chapter 4, he warns against quarreling and judging one another in the Christian community. So one of the benefits of wisdom is that wisdom builds a loving and edifying Christian community. Do you want to know a church that is wise? A church that is filled with wise people? It's not, not necessarily how much they have in their heads. It's how much they love one another. It's how much they forgive one another. How they give to one another. How they care for one another. How they cover one another's sins. So wisdom helps us to build a loving community. James chapter 3 and verse 13, as I finish up. Who is wise and understanding among you? Listen to this. By his conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is humility, weakness, meekness rather, that then builds a loving and a caring community. So do we want do you want to be wise? Do you want to know whether you are wise? Look at how you, you treat the saints. Look at how you treat us as a church. Look at how you relate with us as a church. Look at how you talk about us. Look at how you live with us in community. That will tell you a lot whether you are wise or not. Let us be those who love the saints, in spite of the weaknesses. Oh, I know the saints have a lot. I hear people having these excuses. You know, I would, I would just love the church. The only problem is the church has this issue, and the church has that issue, and the church has that other issue. James is saying no. You are not wise. If you can't love the church in their weaknesses, in their problems, if you can't be humble in the church, well, I, would only, I could only submit to the pastors, oh, if only they were like this and like that. Oh, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So again, remember that this is a moral skill that comes from a relationship with Christ. We cannot do this. We cannot gain these benefits. We cannot utilize or exercise these benefits if we are not in Christ. And for the believers who lack wisdom, James says in James 1 and verse 5, Does anyone, is anyone of you lacking in wisdom? Let him do what? Let him ask God. Let us ask God. If this is lacking in your relationship with the church. If this is lacking in your relationship with this, the saints, please pray and ask the Lord to grant you wisdom. I can see the time has really gone. Is there maybe two burning questions? Maybe two burning questions. Uh, anything online? We are good. All right. So, so, so uh, in case you have any questions, please come to me. Uh, we can talk about them. But remember that next time, uh, just show the next slide. Next time we will be looking at how to now gain wisdom. I hope I've prepared you with the benefits of wisdom so that we may see how we can gain wisdom. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this 
morning we thank you that you have granted us Christ. Uh, thank you that in Christ we have been reconciled to you. Thank you that in Christ our hearts that are immoral, that are broken, that are that, that were disobedient to your law have now been um, renewed, remade afresh, have been recreated. We pray that you would help us to love and to seek wisdom, to love and to seek those things in your word. Help us to, in suffering, to do it in trust. Help us in the opportunities of life to grasp them, having been guided by your word. Help us in, um, in the troubles or the anomalies of life that we may know that even though we may not succeed because we love you and we follow your commands, that there is the fruit of eternal glory awaiting us. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you grant us wisdom by helping us to love one another with the love of Christ. So be with us even this day, O oh Lord, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.